Welcome to We Are Free. I am your host, Becky Marquecho, and you're listening to episode 43. This is a podcast about letting go of what we think our lives should look like and the sweet freedom God has for us on the other side of surrender. My guest today is Megan Duke. Megan is an international recording and touring artist who has performed all over the world to more than 2 million people live and featured on major projects. Her solo project, Heart on Fire, was released March of 2020 and has exceeded all expectations. Her passion is to see Jesus moments turn into Jesus movements, and she serves on a ministry network with the Underground Church in more than 130 nations. Megan has three children and is happily married to her husband, Zach. Hi, Megan. Hi, Becky. It's so good to see you and talk to you. So glad you're here today. Um, We were just chatting before we started recording. You have some exciting news as far as your music goes. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. So I just announced last night that I am going to be releasing... um, a music video for one of my songs on my debut album, Heart on Fire. And it's the song Set My Heart on Fire. And it will be coming out July 9th. So in just a little over a week. And I cannot wait for um, everyone to see it. So So cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Megan, tell us a little bit about your music and you have your debut album. Um, How long have you been in the music business? Um, What has that journey looked like for you? Yeah, it has been a journey. I mean, honestly, music has, it's been a part of my life um, since I was very, very young before I could even talk. Um, So I've just been singing. I come from a very musical family. Um, Both of my parents are singers or have been worship leaders, um, majored in music, all of that good stuff. And so yeah, it has definitely been just a progression all throughout my life and discovering more and more about how God has gifted me and how I can use it to bless others, bless the nation so that we can all bless him together ultimately. So as far as um, the music business kind of comes into play, I went to Liberty University for college and there I studied worship and music to be a worship leader, um, though I had started worship leading when I was like 14, 15 years old. Um Anyways, got my degree from there and also got experience traveling all over the country on their premier music and singing team, got to record and be on several different albums. That led me to Dallas, Texas, where I was on staff at Prestonwood Baptist Church, which is a huge mega church out there, and um, continue to just sing and record and lead and all this good stuff. But as far as my own personal songwriting journey is concerned, I didn't um, really start diving into that until um, probably three or four years into my marriage with my husband, Zach, who is a songwriter. Oh, and that's so cool. encouraged me to songwrite, yes. But I really lacked confidence in that area. And through his encouragement, through prophecies from other people, through um, just my time with the Lord, I really sensed in my heart and in my spirit that you know, like I can keep receiving all of this um, encouragement from other people, but ultimately it has to come from a place um, in my heart where, you know, I can just 100% surrender to God's call and trust Him along the way, even though I felt very unequipped. Um, that's so what that's was keeping you from fire. it, you think? That's what was keeping me from it, I think, along with our season of life being very, very busy and hectic, you know, with three little ones, mm-hmm. I'm a stay-at-home mom, you know, 
thinking, oh my gosh, do I really have the time and capacity to be able to dive into um, something that's going to, you know, take a lot out of me and require a lot of time and energy? Um, so yeah, when I started working towards um, recording and writing and producing uh, this album, I had a newborn. So I had two toddlers, a newborn, and God has been so gracious mm. along the entire way and providing just the right people in my life to support me, um, family and friends, providing an amazing producer, just a team of people to um, do this with. Like I am, I am not a one woman show. Mm-hmm. I will just say that. And there's no way that I, <laughs> so all glory to God. What I think is so cool about it is we so often think of surrender as like giving up something like surrender of ourselves and like what we want. But like in your situation, it was like surrendering the idea that maybe you weren't good enough for something exactly. that he had for you that was so big. And I think that's so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, yeah. what, so do you feel like you're just like in your sweet spot with songwriting? You know, I think that I still have quite a lot of room to grow. Mm -hmm. However, it's been really, really neat, um, especially through the songwriting, like collaborating um, with other artists and songwriters. And that whole process has, at first when I was starting, it was really, really difficult. And it's still difficult at times, but I have just found like the joy in it as well and being able to do it with other people. And I think I found, I have found my sweet spot in my lane and, and understanding, okay, what my strengths are Mm -hmm. when it comes to songwriting. So that has been really, really cool. That's awesome. Um, so your debut album was out in March. Um, how's that going? You said it exceeded expectations. So like, what were you hoping for and what happened? Yeah. So this release date, March 27th, it's actually my middle uh, child's birthday, but we had that date set for months and months and months. We had no idea that we would be in the middle of a pandemic mm-hmm. when we were releasing this album. That was so the Lord and just his sovereignty um, and perfect timing. COVID could not stop that release. Um, and, you know, I think the coolest thing for me has been how these songs, many of which were written some three, four years ago, mm-hmm. they're so relevant for today. And so I think that has been one of like my biggest expectations that have been exceeded is my prayer was just that these you know songs would encourage people, bless people, um, but ultimately, you know, be for lost people that do not have a relationship with Jesus and that are encouraged to you know, discover that, but also for believers and the church to be awakened to the ultimate mission and call that God has on all of our lives Mm -hmm. to be ambassadors of Christ and to be a light in our world. And couldn't come at a better time. time. So yeah. And just so many different radio stations picking it up and I mean, all over the world and Out of streams, and I'm an independent artist, so I'm not signed to a label. So the fact that it is, um, yeah, doing so so well, and all the stories of how it is touching and changing lives. I mean, I I could not ask for Mm. anything else. So that's so awesome. God is good. Praise God. Yeah, Um, Megan, we we're gonna switch gears a little bit. I want to just dive right in, and you are married to Zach. 
and yeah. Zach is white and you are black. Yes, you have yeah. been. I want to talk about being in an interracial couple and what that looked like for you guys when you first started dating, um, mm-hmm. what it looks like now throughout your marriage. I know that's a long time. I know you guys have been married. How long? Sure. Not eight years. Eight years. Okay. Eight years. So, I mean, it's, I mean, this is a lot, but um, just kind of walk us through for people who don't know, for people who aren't in an interracial um, yeah. relationship, like tell us a little bit about it. What's been hard? What's um, been unexpected in good or bad ways? Okay, absolutely. So Zach and I, um, we are so different in so many ways, not just because I'm black and he is white. (laughs) (laughs) We grew up in very different um, communities, um, very different cultures. I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, so Northern Virginia primarily, very, very diverse area um, of the United States. My husband, on the other hand, he grew up in rural Indiana, surrounded by country or uh, cornfields yeah. and all white people. Yeah. Um, so very different upbringings when it comes to the type of people that we grew up with. Um, in my household, race was never like a really like big topic that we discussed in my home. Um, I come from a very, very godly household, being that you know, there were people of all different cultures and ethnicities and backgrounds um, in our area. I just had such a great appreciation for all people. Yeah. What's really, really awesome is that so did my husband. And though he grew up in, like I said, a very rural area, mm-hmm. um, white area, he also came from a very godly household that had a heart for missions, ultimately a heart for the Lord, a heart for all people. His parents are some of the most hospitable hospitable people I've ever met in my whole life. They have literally hosted the nations mm-hmm. on their farm. The nations. When he was a young boy, his aunt and his parents, they would go and literally he had an aunt that grew up in the country but moved to the inner city so that she could um, be, she started a mentorship program and she used her training in gymnastics to just, you know, kind of, build these relationships with people that were very different from her. And so she would bring my husband along and they weren't just there to, um, you know, preach a, a white gospel mm-hmm. um, or be like the answer, you know, um, to the brokenness. I was there in the inner city. They did minister, they did serve, but they really just built relationships and friendships with people. And so this is so cute. My husband, he didn't have many black friends growing up, but he always wanted to marry a black woman. Oh, that is cute. <laughs> Isn't that so cute? <laughs> so when we met, I was like, who is this guy? Like, yeah. why in the world are you interested in me? Yeah. Um, and, you know, he didn't just come out and say, well, I, you know, he, he actually, he's like, I always wanted to marry like an exotic woman. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's really precious. But when we first started dating, um, Actually, so my grandma, all nine of her great grandkids are of mixed race. Okay. And so in my family, I mean, my cousins, they've married white people. And so like that was very comfortable. When my family first met Zach, they just loved him, accepted him. Same thing with my husband's family. Wow. I am very, very fortunate. There wasn't any tension up front. There was no, there wasn't tension. No, they just received me and accepted me for who I am. And 
I look, I mean, I'm just so grateful for that gift mm-hmm. because that is not the case for a lot of couples, um, interracial couples. Right. Um, so anyways, I would say that I, I love being in an interracial marriage. Um, you know, I think that the Lord has used our marriage to be such a beautiful representation of really his heart, you know, and, um, though we are very different, it has just been really awesome how our worlds have come together in one and how God has provided opportunity, such as having this conversation right now to be able to speak to many different people, white mm-hmm. and black and, um, everything in between. One of the most difficult things I think for me personally has been, um, and, and my husband has always been very, very humble and we are a part of the international ministry. And so he's had probably more like cultural experiences than I have mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and being amongst many different people groups, um, which is very unique, but especially with everything that's going on right now, mm-hmm. um, we do live in Indiana now. And so I am, there's just not a lot of color at all in our area. And at the beginning when everything was coming out and things were very tense, it was very difficult for me. Very, very difficult for me because I'm surrounded by all these white people that have no idea, absolutely no idea what it's like to be a black person mm-hmm. in America. And, um, and so there, I, I felt lonely. I, I felt, um, I didn't know who I could really talk to. God was gracious enough. I were actually my, my family, my parents and some of my siblings were in town when the George Floyd thing came out. So I, I did have them and that was a great sense of comfort. Um, but yeah, I mean, through this, it has opened up many, many uncomfortable conversations with a lot of family members and friends yeah. that um, maybe never even once thought about how it, it might be difficult for me yeah. living in, yeah. you know, an all white community. Right. What, Megan, what are some of those hard things? Um, what are some of the things you experience that make it hard? Outside of like me as a white girl thinking like, oh, I, I can I can see why that would be hard, you know, but I can't understand because I'm not black. Like as a black woman living in a predominantly white area, like what are some things that are hard for you? Yeah. Um, one of the hard things was just going out in public for me. I mean, I don't know. I, I, maybe that just sounds like, so like, why? But like just going out in public and thinking, you know, in my head, like, okay, what are all these, like, when they see me, like, what are they thinking? Like, are they, how are they judging me right now? Like, are they intimidated by me? Mm-hmm. Are they uncomfortable around me? Just having those insecure feelings of just not, you know, not knowing. And then also, um, I had, I'm grateful for all of my family members, white family members and friends that did reach out to me wanting to have conversations. Um, I think that is very courageous. Um, but I also felt this burden and so much pressure to be a voice for all black people, which is not a burden that I can bear because I can't, I don't represent all black people. Right. 
you know, like every black, every person has a unique story and a unique experience. But I felt that way because you're the um, one black girl. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so it was very overwhelming to get bombarded with text messages and calls and literally strangers in my own neighborhood that didn't even know, know, knew me maybe through my husband that, but that were reaching out to me wanting to go on walks. I'm like, I don't even know you. This is so crazy. Um, so it was difficult. Yeah, for sure. Um, how have you, what have you and Zach experienced over the years? If, um, just as a couple, like, have you guys experienced any unkindness or, you know, racist comment, anything just together being out? What have you guys experienced together as a couple? You know, not a whole, we haven't experienced a whole lot, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Um, though this area where we live is, is very white. Um, I haven't experienced a whole lot of racism. Um, Indiana actually was very influential. If we go way back into time, um, in like during slavery and the underground railroad was here. And so that has definitely been a blessing. You know, I think I was a lot more sensitive when we first moved here. Um, at, you know, just the fact that I was the only black person in the room or just the different looks from different people. And, um, but overall, um, you know, occasionally there will be comments that are made that are in more of a joking manner Mm -hmm. that can be uncomfortable. And I have (laughs) not always spoken up about those. So certainly those things have happened. Um, but overall we've been, we've been received pretty well. Yeah. So. That's good. That's good to hear. And it, it helps that we have really adorable children too. Yes, I mean, they're, like, <laughs> they're people magnets. Yeah. They're so beautiful. So, yeah. So that helps, I think. Yeah. Um, Megan, what is your take? Um, not to put you on the spot as the black girl that now people know, but what yeah. is your take um, just on the racial injustice going on right now um, on the news, on the things that have happened? Um, where are you at? Where is your heart at? What, yeah. Yeah. What do you think about it? Mm. Woo. <laughs> um, I, I have so many thoughts. I, I, you know, I'm thinking about this every single day and especially, okay, what should my response be to all of this? Um, and the way that the Lord has been challenging me is to not get caught up in, in my own personal thoughts, my own personal feelings, but, um, I've been able to just give all of that to the Lord and it's a daily thing, a daily surrender, not getting caught up in the social media and, you know, just the worldly systems and ideologies that are out there. But I believe that as a child of God, that I am a citizen of heaven. Therefore, I need to have a kingdom perspective and mindset on what is happening in the world. And so as difficult as it can be living in this world and not being of it, I do believe that the spirit of God that is inside of me, who is sanctifying my mind day by day has allowed me to be able to understand that, okay, what is happening right now? It's not a war against flesh and blood. It is against principalities. And there is an enemy that is out there that is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And he is just 
really going to town right now Mm -hmm. and bringing up, you know, these issues that honestly are not new. There's nothing new under the sun. Racial injustices, it didn't just start with the murder of Ahmaud Arbery and then the murder of, you know, George Floyd. Those things are happening every single day, not just to one, you know, black person, but many black people. And and it's not just black people, you know, it's not a black versus white thing. This country was founded on racial injustices and the enslavery of black people. And so really, I think what God is doing right now is he is exposing darkness with light and he is making people aware of what is ultimately a sin issue Mm -hmm. and the lack of the gospel, which changes hearts. And so I believe that the response to this is that as Satan is trying to, you know, stir up anger and stir up, which anger can be <laughs> godly, obviously. We should be angry over the you know, mm-hmm. murder of innocent lives. I've had my fair share of, I mean, all sorts of emotions. Um, and so I'm, I'm not saying that, but I, I am saying that um, this is such a wonderful opportunity, I believe, that God has given the church especially to come together in oneness and in unity so that the world may know that God sent his son. That's what it says in John 17, when we are one with God and we are one with one another, then the world will know. And so we need to be a beautiful representation of who Jesus is by doing all of the things that, you know, in the Bible that says on the one another's, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and, opening our mouths and stand and speaking truth, you know, being advocates, not activists, but advocates for the least and the last and the lost. That's just some of my take on all of this. So (laughs) I like it. I think that's really um, biblical. And I think um, Jesus is obviously like, working in your heart to, to say all of those things. Um, thank you for sharing that. What do you think? So what does that look like for you? What does that look like for you in your everyday life? As far as like your decisions and your actions go, what do you think that looks like for white people, black people, any, any people, like any Christian, the church, like as we come together, like what do we do? Yeah. I, believe that simple things grow and simple, simple things multiply. So, you know, as you were reading my Bible or my bio, not my Bible, <laughs> my bio, one of the things I'm passionate about is moments being turned into movements, right? And so um, in order for that to happen, it does need to be, it, it's all about the daily decisions that we're making day by day to love God, to love our neighbors as ourselves and to make disciples. It starts in the home. And so, You know, I have three young ones at home and so teaching them, okay, what does it look like to love God today? Well, it looks like being obedient to his word. Well, what does it say about, you know, loving other people? Well, first comes from, you know, understanding that we are all created in the image of God. And so when I look at like my community, this is what's really, really special, I think, And it definitely takes intentionality is that though we live in a primarily white area, I look at like 
my church family and our, our community and like our friend group. And, and we have people of many different races and backgrounds. Like, and so my children are getting to see that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's very important that we take intentionality with our, if you are a parent with our children um, in just the way we talk about other people. And I'm not just talking about, you know, um, ethnos or like skin color. Cause if we're really being honest, okay. Like <laughs> there's one race and it's the human race. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all people were created in the image of God, but, um, yeah. So people of all different, um, you know, social economics and, and just different things and just inviting diversity into your home at your table, you know? So I think those are just some practical things that we can all be doing. Um, aside from just also inviting people in also going out, um, you know, we do go into other communities and we're like 20, 20 miles outside of Indianapolis. And so, um, going out there and prayer walking and looking for ways to serve other people, you know, things like that. I mean, just really simple, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, simple things, you know, engaging, um, and, and loving people that are just right in front of you as you are going out and about and you're in the, you know, grocery store or wherever you might be blessing somebody with a smile, like mm-hmm. actually caring for people. Um, so I don't think that it has to be like anything compli- uh, complicated mm-hmm. or super um, dramatic or anything like that. Yeah. But, no, that's good. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's attainable. That's something we can all yeah. do that's, you know, yeah. easy enough to do if we just think about it. And like you said, you have to be intentional. Um, I feel like on social media, like I've had to t- definitely take a break of, I mean, I'm a white girl and I'm saying like, oh, I'm overwhelmed by what I'm seeing on social media, you know, and I'm not and I'm a white girl, you know, so I can't imagine like the, just the overwhelm of like emotion and yeah, I guess just emotion and feelings of like Mm. all of it, like for people, even for people who want to stand up for what is right, even that for some reason in a weird way is like overwhelming. I don't know why. Um, I think there's just so much, um, has your tendency, have you been like in the news a lot? Have you been on social media? What has been your take on that? I have never really been like about the news. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> that's just really not my thing. My main source of news is social media. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe that's that counts. Um it is definitely like my tendency to wake up in the morning and like go straight to you know. Um but I think I need to be more like you <laughs> just like <laughs> taking a step back because there are just there's just so much going on, you yeah. know. And um I can just, like, it just, maybe it sounds like cliche, but I'm like, is this really, is all of this information, is it drawing me closer to Jesus or is it like creating bitterness in my heart or is it creating confusion in my mind? Is it causing me like to, is it distracting me from, like I talked about earlier, just loving the people that are in front of me? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. So I think that it's very important that we're being informed and that we're being aware. Um, again, that is something that I think that the church needs to do is um, we need to be 
active, proactive in learning and educating ourselves about what is going on. Um, this is not the time to be passive and just wait for things to blow over. No, like <laughs> the gospel like requires movement. Um, and so like that is definitely important, but I would just say we also are called to be wise um, and then discerning the will of God. And there's just a lot of stuff out there um, that is, you know, and responses to what is going on that is just not Christian. It is just not godly. Yeah. Okay. Like have a so, filter of what, whatever it, you take into your mind, like filter it through the truth. And yes. I think it's so hard to do because we're so often, it's like that literally requires like 24 seven, you know, like having that filter on because we're Preach constantly it, being bombarded by this stuff. We're not even bombarded. We're like, that's our own fault. Half the time we're seeking yeah. it out. Like that's not, yeah. we have the choice to look at it or not. So um, I love that though, like putting it through that lens of Christianity um, at the end of the day, like, is this creating, helping or making me be more bitter or resentful or whatever it is, or, you know, what could I be doing to have Jesus work in me and on me instead? Yes. Um, yes. I love that. I love that, Megan. Um, how do you think, like you said, racial injustice is nothing new. Um, these <laughs> things, there's nothing new under the sun, you know, like no. there, it, this is all the same stuff, like regardless of what times we're in. Um, and how do you believe um, we move forward toward racial reconciliation? I know you mentioned like, you know, the intentionality and all of us having, um, you know, doing these small things that will create big movements, um, really. Um, how do you, is that is that what you think is the answer or is there anything else that, how do we move forward toward that reconciliation? Uh, um, yes. So there's actually a really, really good book out there that I just want to make mention of. And it is by Dr. John Perkins. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before. He's like 80 something years old, but he um, was an activist in the civil rights um, movement and has written many different books and, um, amazing, amazing man of God. He wrote a book called One Blood and it speaks on racial reconciliation and it's specifically written towards the church. And so I, I would just encourage um, all of you listeners out there to give that a shot and give it a listen. Um, yeah, it's available on Hoopla and all that good stuff. But I think in, in moving forward, we, um, what has helped me is just understanding that, yeah, really, really what we need to be after is God's heart and understanding his heart and reconciliation. Like it's not just racial reconciliation in second Corinthians five. It talks about how we are new creations. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given the message of reconciliation, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we are called ambassadors of Christ. And so reconciliation is ultimately bringing man back to God. We need to be ministers of this reconciliation and bringing men back to God. We need to be bold in our witness and sharing the gospel. Racism is seeing people, um, in our own like manly, uh, systems and constructs and not understanding how God sees people and thinking, Oh, be, you know, because of X, Y, and Z, 
Um, I'm better than this person and this person's life is of lesser value. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. When we understand that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that John three sixteen, Jesus came and he died for the whole world, then we, we can't look at somebody else because of their skin color or because of their social status or, you know, whatever it might be and think, you know, they, they don't deserve mm-hmm. you know, Jesus's gift of, of salvation and forgiveness. And who are we to say that? Who are we to say that? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so um, I just know like, a lot of, I'm, I'm speaking to the believer, like mm-hmm. we, I believe have become too comfortable with being comfortable. And there's just been a lot of like, yeah, like letting our light shine within the four walls of a church building when, um, you know, the great commission calls us to actually go not invite people to like a church service 70. Okay. There's a statistic that 70% of people in America won't even step foot into a church if they were invited. So what are we going to do about those 70% of people? It it just, it it takes engaging and stepping outside of our our comfort zone Mm -hmm. and (laughs) like loving people the way Jesus loves them. Yeah. I don't know what else to say other than that. Like, I think that's the only way that we're going to be able to move forward. All this talk about, um, you know, these movements that are, we need to change laws. We need to to fund the police. We need to do like, um, yes, laws do need to be changed, but will change laws change hearts. No, it's not. Change laws are not going to change a racist heart. I'm sorry. You know, Mm Mm-hmm. No, I hear you. Um, so, and it's and it's been cool too. I um, just another positive <laughs> movement that is happening is um, we. I have friends that are part of a a movement called Civil Righteousness. I love that. I do too. Like, I, like that a lot. I like words, so I smiled when you I said, said that. <laughs> Civil righteousness, and um, it's led by my friend Jonathan Tremaine Thomas, and he's partnering with many different churches and ministries. And it's been so cool what they've been doing in cities all over the nation um, where there have been, you know, just where there's been violence and they started off in Minneapolis and they've kind of gone all over, but you know, the weapons of our warfare, prayer, worship, like don't disregard those things. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't think that those, like we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And so like, those are weapons of warfare that are really going to tear down strongholds. People of God, like, We need to pray like never before. We need to sing, sing a new song unto the Lord like never before. Oh my gosh, just just like gets me fired up. But they're they're going from place like city to city, white people, black people, you know, Hispanic people, just all coming together and worshiping the Lord and like ministering to people on the street, asking how they can pray for them, leading them to the Lord, doing baptisms, just spontaneous baptisms, and singing praises to Jesus and. Um, like that is the kingdom coming to earth, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those are the things that we need to be taking part in, participating in. Yeah, no, I'm tearing up because I, um, yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And like, like you said, like, that's what's going to change hearts. And if we want to change things, like that's what we need to change. 
Yes. Yeah. And it's not our, and, and it's not fully our responsibility, but we can plant the seed. We can show love. We can, exactly. we can, you know, be the hands and feet of Jesus. Like it's not up to us to, you know, make their decisions yes, for, for them, sure. but we can definitely show up in their lives. Yes. Yeah. That is, that is so good. And, um, yeah, our war, like it has to be forgiveness, you know? Um, and I, yeah, my husband and I, we wrote a song about that called even in the dark. And it, that line came out of, um, when my husband was traveling overseas, like four years ago, he was in Iraq and he was in a refugee camp and he was talking to this family that had to flee their area because it was getting bombed by ISIS. They lost everything. They lost family members. And this father, um, Zach was just like, you know, talking to him, like what, how in the midst of everything that you've lost, you know, in the midst of all this injustice, like, how are you able to have joy? How, how are you, how are you able to love? And like, where's this smile coming from? Mm-hmm. You know? And, and like, obviously Jesus, like, I'm like, sad, duh. but like, still it can be so hard to understand. Like it's only the love of God that can bring that about. And you said, you know, like when I chose, when I chose to show forgiveness to my enemies, he says, that's when I felt freedom. That's when I felt true freedom. And that's what it's going to take. It's hard. It's hard work. It's really hard. And, and apart from him, we can do nothing. Right. So I love that you're talking about, we're just called to plant seeds, Yeah. you know, and then it's the Holy Spirit's job to, to bring fruit out of that. Yeah. You said some really good stuff, Megan. I love all of this. It's so good. It's so encouraging. What I like about it is is it is encouraging. And in a time where, you know, there's a lot of overwhelm and anger and all these different things for all different people in all different ways, like I feel like the message that you are preaching and the stance that you are taking is one that is of Christ and it is biblical and it is full of hope and truth. And it's not like, oh, just fluff that, oh, I'm being positive. No, it's, it's rooted in something that is the only thing that we, that we can fall back on. So to move forward, I agree. That's the only thing in any category of this life on earth, you know, to move forward, Jesus is the answer. So I, it just makes me, um, I just, when I heard you talking about it on social media and like, I, I've heard, I just, I wanted to bring you on because you've, you're, you're, you're just a light in a dark time. And I think that it is just so bright and encouraging. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. Yeah. And I'll just, I mean, one other thing too is, um, my husband and I, we have had many different conversations, you know, and about all this, um, I think Zach's role does look different from mine as well. And, um, you know, the, the privilege that he does have as a white person, Mm -hmm. I am like so grateful that he recognizes that because white people do have privilege, Mm -hmm. but how should we use that privilege? And one thing that he is, you know, adamant about is that he should use this white privilege, his white privilege for good, you know, and, and being a voice for people that don't have a voice. You know, um, yeah, using, using his privilege as a benefit to other people. Right. So good. And so like, it it doesn't have to, like, I know that there's a lot of uncomfortable, um, like it's just kind of been seen as 
like a negative thing, like just made a lot of like white people uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but yeah, like God, God can use that mm-hmm. for, for his glory. And so do that. Yeah. Use it for his glory and serving other people. Yeah. That's so good. I think you guys have a cool um, just opportunity being in, in an interracial marriage to mm-hmm. in this time, although I'm sure it's not easy in a lot of regards. Like I think it's so cool that both of your hearts are pointed in the right direction and you both, you are very different and the color of your skin is different. And you're like you said, like he, what he can do is different than what you can do um, because yeah. of who God made you each to be. So yeah. Um, I just think that's beautiful. And I think you guys are a great example. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And he never, he never once like made me feel bad for how I was feeling, you know, right. or he just, he, he took time to love me by listening and, you know, weeping with me and, you know, re- rejoicing with me or just all of that. Like just, you got to get in the mess, not be afraid of like other people's, mess. Jesus, he was constantly getting his hands Mm. dirty. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that. Um, Yeah. Um, Megan, where can we, actually I have one last question for you that I would love to ask everybody. Um, (laughs) What do you feel that God has set you free from? Mm. I think the biggest thing that God has set me free from has been my own self-righteousness, which is something that <laughs> I have to like continually be aware of. It's just like my sinful nature um, very heavily leans towards just um, emphasizing all of the good works that I can do um, to try to earn favor from the Lord or like find acceptance from Him, love from Him, and realizing that like, there's literally nothing good in me. The only thing good in me is Jesus Christ. And it was like, that's, that's the gospel that I didn't quite fully understand until, I mean, I was saved at a very young age, but it wasn't until I was around 21, 22 years of age um, where I really felt freedom to um, receive God's righteousness in my life and just forget like the worldly standards that, I was trying to live up to and the opinions of others and receiving God's true grace um, for me, knowing that, you know, I'm going to have every day I sin. There are going to be some days that are better than others, um, but that, you know, nothing I can do can ever separate me from the love of Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's free for all people. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Um, Megan, where can we follow along? Where can we check out your album, your music, um, see your beautiful babies? They're not quite babies, but they're always going to be our babies, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yes. So um, you can look me up on my website, which is just my name, MeganDuke.com. And there you will find um, all my music. It's available on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, Google, um, anywhere you stream or download your music. Um, and then also my social media on Instagram and Twitter, it's Megan F Duke. So you can look me up there and follow along. And I would love to just connect with you all. And um, I also have Facebook too. So, um, it's just Megan Duke music and, um, you will get all of me there. (laughs) Thanks so much, Megan, just for your time and your honesty and sharing so much that is 
deep and meaningful on your heart. Um, it means a lot to me, and I know that people listening are are going to feel the same way. Um, and thanks for coming on, <laughs> Megan. Thank you so much, Becky. I love talking to you. God bless, sister. You too. Again, don't forget to check out the show notes where we have all of the info and links and resources we talked about in the show. You can go to beckymorquecho.com, B-E-C-K-Y-M-O-R-Q-U-E-C-H-O.com. Thanks for listening in. 